Welcome back to the Crone of Temple, Texas. If you're listening to this episode around the time that it's released, we are just a few weeks away from one of the peak seasons of church attendance, Easter. Over the next couple of episodes, Barbara and I are going to be examining some questions that she believes the church should be asking itself. Today, one of those questions is, what makes a church a church? What qualifies as a church? As we dig down beyond the surface answer to that question, what emerges are even deeper questions that Barbara challenges us within this episode. If you're new to the Crone of Temple, Texas, this podcast features Barbara Wendland, a woman who helped pioneer progressive Christianity. For decades, Barbara has been challenging the church to examine its outdated practices and beliefs. Today, Barbara will be reading an excerpt from one of her Connections issues from 2013. Here's Barbara Wendland. A seminary board meeting that I attended included a fascinating discussion of the question, what makes a church, church? Previous meetings had mostly consisted of reports from faculty and staff members, which were interesting but considerably more passive for us attendees. The active discussion segment of this meeting especially appealed to me because it invited our own contributions and spurred us to think further. Participants in this discussion at the meeting were largely clergy, and many of them were relatively high-status clergy, bishops, district superintendents, and pastors of large congregations. Given that inherent bias, it wasn't surprising that many of them gave fairly traditional answers, but it was also refreshing to me that the meeting gave voice to some of us with less predictable answers and ideas. What are the two or three elements necessary for a group of people to be the church? And what makes church distinctive from other community enterprises of goodwill and service? My own answer in this discussion was that for a group to be a church, It must take Jesus as its model. Without Jesus as an example and motivation, is a group something other than a church? Even though it may do valuable things for good reasons, such as making people happy or meeting important needs. Do you believe that unless the group exists because it attributes some kind of authority to Jesus and thus sees the need to do what he did and what he commanded, that the group is not a church? Many people believe Jesus Christ as the sole basis of a group is both necessary and sufficient, that a group doesn't qualify as a church without Jesus. And if a group seeks to embody Jesus, it doesn't need anything else in order to qualify. Is there more that makes a church a church? What do we need to do for it to be a church? Part of what is needed, it seems, is to openly address questions and to look actively for answers that will make sense to today's people. We need to talk openly about the questions and possible answers within the church and also outside of it. 
merely continuing to parrot answers that were declared many centuries ago in cultures that had little resemblance to ours won't serve the purpose. Letting ourselves be shaken up by hearing other possibilities and giving them serious consideration rather than automatically assuming they're wrong is essential if we want to help transform the world in ways that Jesus advocated. Will the church ever become brave enough and energetic enough to do more of these things? I hope so. You know, I, I think one of the questions that um, you posed is worth revisiting, and, and that essentially is, is Jesus the main or the only requirement? Is there more to it? Yes. Jesus may well be necessary for a church to be a church, but is that sufficient? And how do you answer that? I think it's probably both necessary and sufficient. But in this discussion I talk about here at the seminary board meeting, that was not the general opinion, I think. There were I felt like most of the group felt like Jesus was not the only requirement. So there was more to it? Yes, more characteristics that were necessary for a group to be considered a church. I can understand that most most people of the clergy, for any number of reasons, have to feel like they they have to continue what was established before. Not many clergymen are willing to say, let's scrap it and start over. I can imagine there are a lot of elements of, you know, a church that they would state as requirements. Yes. Uh, I would imagine that one of those are, you know, sacraments, communion, things like that, uh, elements of worship that... Uh, that they would indicate as required. Well, I think that that was true of this group that I was part of that was discussing this issue. Um, many of the people in that group said that it also was required to observe traditional Christian sacraments in order to be a church. And most of this group were United Methodists so for us, for them, that meant baptism and communion. Other Christians, especially Anglicans and Catholics, would add others, other practices that they consider sacraments. But whatever you require in your list of what qualifies as a sacrament, the question I'm raising is, are sacraments really essential parts of being a church? Why is it not a sacrament, for example, to feed Christ's sheep, to visit the sick and those in prison, to serve what we've called the least of these? So what is really holier or more essential for the church? officially named sacraments or more practical 
engagement with the world like some of these things. What can sanctify even our most everyday actions. It concerns me when the church's official sacraments seem to be little more than a kind of secret handshake or a ritual of honor granted to insiders purely by virtue of being insiders. Yeah, there, there definitely seems to be these, these actions and traditions that are pardon the pun, but grandfathered in for generations, for generations. And many people don't really even understand what the sacraments even mean, and yet they're considered a holy part of of the actual church service, so much right. so that many would argue if you don't have the sacraments, you have not had church. Right. So that goes back to the previous question we dealt with of, is Jesus the only or the main? You know, it, yes. Do you do you believe, as as a lay person or somebody outside of the church, do you believe that the sacraments are as necessary as the church claims they are? And my personal answer is no. But there again, that may be one of the things I'm wrong about. Is there is there uh, anything wrong with saying? They're not necessary, but they're beautiful, and we want to continue doing them. Oh, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, I think that for most people, simply being beautiful is not a qualification for something to be church. I mean, could you tie that into... Uh, the whole issue of should you dress up to go to church services or is it okay to wear your everyday clothing or even the clothing that you wear to work in the yard or go to a football game or something? Is it is looking beautiful, uh, looking your best, does that have something to do with church? Well, I think I'm I'm asking more from the perspective uh, similar to music, you know, to the the worship music. Yes. You know, there could be a question of is that necessary? Is that an essential part of church or is it it's just a beautiful thing that elicits an emotion out of people. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily required for church to be considered church but people still want to do it because it it pulls an emotion out of them. Well, I think that's more than just being beautiful. That is um, drawing something out of them that is important, something that causes them to feel related to God in some sense, and that maybe that is really an important or even an essential part of what makes a church a church. And that gets to the whole question about corporate worship. In this discussion I was in at the seminary, many of the board members, most of them, I guess, also felt that corporate worship was necessary 
for making a gathered group a church. And I wondered, are they right about that? I'm not sure. Um, many traditional worship services, in my view, seem to depend on seeing God as some kind of an autocratic being who requires his, oh, usually it's his, subjects to be subservient and to demonstrate their subservience. And I don't see God like that. And I know that there's other Christians who also don't. And in fact, I feel like having that kind of an approach to worship can even be a barrier to worship unless it's combined with other ways that portray God. Why do you feel that the worship services portray God as this supreme autocratic being, like a like a physical king that that would walk the streets of his empire and the, the subjects would have to bow in front yes. of him. Why do you think they portray him that way? Well, that seems misleading to me because I don't see that as what we mean by God. At least, let me say, it's not what I mean by God or what I understand by God. To me, God means instead something like an all-pervasive, impersonal order in the universe, in everything that exists, whatever that may include. And so demanding subservience from human beings doesn't seem to me to be like what that kind of a God would require. Instead, to me, that kind of a God inspires, which is different from requires, but inspires awe and reverence, often silence. But I think that inspiring is very different from requiring. And in many typical worship services, awe, reverence, and silence are absent. And what is required is merely what I see as just kind of parroting some traditional texts like creeds and such. I mean, that's that's so profound of requiring versus inspiring. Um, and I, I, I would imagine uh, that's that's something people need to think about is if you're attending a church and you're singing songs every day, are you are you truly being compelled um, from a place of inspire, or do you feel like you're singing it because it's the way that the church service flows? Right, and what you're supposed to do. But you bring up these these creeds or beliefs. 
Um, I would imagine that many of these clergy also, in addition to the sacraments, in addition to worship or corporate worship, I would imagine that they would claim that there are uh, fundamental beliefs that somebody has to um, agree to or adhere to beyond just this the story of Jesus. Yes, I think that's true, that at least some of these specific beliefs have to be at least officially claimed by the group in order to be a church, even if they are not actually believed by every single member. And and I suspect that some of the official beliefs would not be claimed by every single member if they got right down to being honest about it. But I don't know. I think it's hard it's hard to be honest about some things like that. Even with ourselves, much less with other people. Yeah, we've talked in, in previous episodes of how scary that is for people to Yes to honestly seek those answers in themselves. Right, especially if they have the belief that believing in those certain statements um, has something to do with whether they go to heaven when they die. So they feel like they have to convince themselves or tell themselves that they do believe it, whatever this particular belief is. Because they fear that that's necessary as a ticket to heaven when you die. Yeah. You recently had an article uh, in your newsletter that that had to do with uh, buds that needed to, you know, flower. Yes. And that so many people are afraid to even go there. Yes. Um, can you speak, can you relate that to what we're talking about here? Yes, I think it's all definitely related. That um, that statement that I quoted in an earlier uh, one of these sessions was that... Uh, it may feel painful to blossom, but there may come a point where the pain of staying tight in a closed-up bud is greater than the pain of blossoming. And so that motivates you to blossom because it's too painful to stay tightly closed in the bud. And I think what I'm talking about here is very, very much related to that, that the pain of admitting to yourself or much less to anyone else that you don't really believe some things that are the church's official doctrines or beliefs seems risky and therefore painful. And so we tend to avoid doing it.
one of the things that over the over the year that I've known you and through recording some of these episodes is and this is a reoccurring theme that keeps coming up is the the amount of courage that somebody has to have to face their own questions and ultimately i i i see that theme in your work you know throughout reading the years of your work of you're challenging people to pause for a second and ask them ask themselves what do you ultimately believe what do you really believe and that's that's this bud that is cramped up and is bursting forth or is bursting out and ultimately people need to need to ask themselves those questions i i, I think that it's uh, there too much harm is done in the world by people defending beliefs that they may not actually believe yes i think there certainly is a lot of that happening i I don't know exactly how much harm is done by it, but it seems to me that some is. And um, I think it can be scary to look honestly at what you actually believe and to think about what the significance of believing it or not believing it is. And so we tend to not do it that often. One of, and I think this can be our final thought that we can discuss, but one of the things that I have noticed about churches is they are, they tend to be um, intent on providing answers, but they, they often don't really acknowledge the true questions that people are asking. And one, I mean, I, I'll participate in church services, and I, I walk away thinking they're not asking the questions from the pulpit what I feel like the majority of the, the participants are, are asking. And they don't, they don't even further, they don't encourage people to ask questions. They often, they often are satisfied with, here's the answer, here's the answer, here's what you need to know, here's what you need to do, here's... And it's, it's as if they're these experts standing on stage telling people what they need to believe as opposed to encouraging them to continue to ask questions, to seek and to look and to find and to pursue. And it, I think, often stagnates people's spiritual growth because they're content being told what they should believe, much in the same way that news outlets tell people what they should believe about the world or about politics or about whatever the side of the spectrum somebody believes or somebody watches or listens to, it's all about here's what you need to know. Here's, here's the information you need to have as opposed to getting people to ask the questions themselves and dig deep into, into what they believe. Yes, I think that's very true. And I certainly find myself every now and then reading a news article, for example, and when I get to the end, I think, well, wait, what it, what I wonder about this is whatever, whatever, and they didn't even address that. And I want to go back and get that writer or <laughs> TV speaker or whoever and say, wait a minute, what about this? 
and and I think that's very true in the church that um, we need to summon the nerve if that's what it takes to ask those real questions and if the official people the people who are preaching the sermons or whatever aren't addressing those questions then we need to speak up and find somewhere to ask them ask them of that person giving the sermon after it's over or, or ask them of ourselves right I mean, maybe maybe the answer isn't to seek the answer from somebody else maybe the answer is seek it within like what right. arrive at your own conclusion about something yes so i want to give you a final thought you know as we as we look at this as an overview what what wisdom as the crone of Temple, Texas, oh, do you want to impart on humanity? <laughs> I don't think I can impart anything that momentous, but I do think it's important for all of us to constantly ask questions about what we believe and to look for answers that make sense to us and whether that means looking within ourselves, consulting other people, consulting other sources of information, all of those things, I think those are all important in order to find answers which may be just temporary for us. We may later in life see that there's more to it than that but at least for the time being, we need to find um, questions to acknowledge the questions that are in our minds and to look for what seem to be the most satisfying answers we can find for the moment at least. Well, as somebody who has learned a tremendous amount from you, um, both from your writing as well as these conversations. Uh, I think that that's one thing that I have walked away with is be okay with asking questions and pursue those questions. And so I just want to thank you uh, on behalf of all your listeners for, for imparting the wisdom and wow. challenging us to keep seeking. Well... I hope to keep doing that myself. If you've enjoyed this conversation with Barbara, please share this podcast with a friend or on social media. Barbara loves to hear from her audience. So please like her page on Instagram or Facebook or visit her website at connectionsonline.org to comment on her posts, email her directly, and to subscribe to her articles. Thank you for listening to The Crone of Temple, Texas.